0: You're listening to Episode 7 of the Practice Brave Podcast. Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave Podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today I am interviewing Lisa Ryan, who is my friend and colleague, and she's a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Lisa and I talk about all things diastasis recti and what you need to know about What actually constitutes a diastasis and a lot of the messaging and misinformation that women are told. We've seen a significant pendulum swing in the last, definitely within the last decade, between no awareness and now an overawareness and paranoia of something that's actually really normal for pregnancy and postpartum. So I hope today's episode helps really clear up some of the information and gives you guys a lot more insight on diastasis and the spectrum of considerations between pregnancy all the way to deciding if surgery is a viable option for you. So thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Hey guys, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. I'm here with my friend Lisa Ryan. Her and I met quite a few years ago and connected online like most modern friendships do. Um, And I'm really excited to have her here today to talk about diastasis recti and the spectrum of considerations for being a pregnant and postpartum athlete and just the overall fitness culture and messaging that we have seen that has really swayed the pendulum of diastasis awareness and really just breaking down a lot of the misinformation that exists out there. So Lisa, thank you so much for being here and please tell us a little bit about yourself, your mom life, your athletic history, your professional background, what you're doing now. Just give us a give us a rundown.
1: All right. Hi, everybody. So I like to joke that I am one of the least athletic but pretty good at CrossFit people. <laughs> My husband used to always tease me about that. I was a dancer for many years. Not that dancing isn't athletic, but I never played sports. And then somewhere along the line towards the end of college, I got into CrossFit right at its kind of birth in like 2003, 2004. I started out with Doug Chapman, which was one of the first CrossFit affiliates. And I kind of followed him because I was taking a boot camp class with him at Valley Total Fitness back in the day. And then he kind of started merging into CrossFit and I kind of just went with him. And I found this CrossFit thing and I did it for years and I loved it. And I was also a high school teacher and that kind of was my thing. And then when I moved to California because of my husband's job, I ended up at Valley CrossFit with a lot of the now famous competitive games athletes and I basically turned into this fierce regional level CrossFit competitor out of nowhere and it was amazing. So that's my, you know, overall background with CrossFit and I now have two boys and I still love CrossFit. I'm not necessarily trying to be competitive, but I do still like to be competitive, you know, in the gym or doing things, you know, I get my kicks in that way, but I'm not (laughs) trying to actually, you know, compete in anything formal anymore. I had my glory days with that and I'm running my business. So I'm running my pregnancy postpartum athleticism business now, which is great because I can do that while the kids are in school and then still be with the kids when they're here. And it's like the perfect kind of balance for me right now in my life to still have a professional career where I feel like I'm using my brain, I'm helping people, so I'm getting that feeling that I miss from teaching high school, but in the new ways where I can really explore my current passions, which is pregnancy and postpartum athleticism all the time.
0: (laughs) And you do such a great job of that, but let's rewind a little bit because... Tell the audience how you and I connected. Yes. So this
1: is my favorite story to tell. So in the midst of my, after I had my first son, who I had him in California, and then we moved back to Michigan when he was about four and a half months old. Within that time of, after we had just moved back here and I was being really confused of what was going on with my stomach and I started losing the weight and I couldn't figure out why it was still sticking out, I finally posted something on like my personal page about how I looked and kind of tried to find some help and totally lost. And so Lindsay Valenzuela's sister, Ashley had reached out to me because I knew Lindsay personally from when I lived in California. And she was like, hey, you should reach out to Brianna Battles. I know her. She's going through a similar thing. She might be able to help. (laughs) So so I'm like, all right, because I am just desperate at this point. So trying everything. So I texted a complete stranger and the rest is history.
0: So <laughs> and I remember I was like, Jared, um I need you to FaceTime or maybe it was even Skype back then. Like I don't remember. I think oh. we Skyped. I'm trying yeah, to this is a long because, time ago.
1: Yeah, because I was in the bed my bedroom and I had something <laughs> on the bed and like you were on the kitchen floor.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Jared had to like film me, and I laid on the kitchen floor and showed you how to check for diastasis and just told you like what it is, what I had learned so far. But really, we were in the trenches of being athletes and now becoming moms, and we were like, hey, we did everything right through pregnancy or what we thought was like right, right? Pregnancy, we were fit, we were strong, we were like, we were athletically at a pretty good. Baseline postpartum, but yet something was just up with our stomach and we couldn't figure it out. And so we're both in those trenches around the same time. And uh, but really, it was before there was a lot of information out there. So I think that you can speak to this really well and maybe tell our audience who. Maybe wasn't quite there yet. Or maybe a lot of you guys listening were like, hey, me too. I was pregnant six years ago, seven years ago. I remember also that there was nothing. So tell us a little bit about like the fitness culture for both of us back then and um, some of the messages and examples that we saw.
1: Yeah. So back then, I really didn't even think to look for information at first because I thought, well, I'm gonna have a fit pregnancy. I'm a regional level athlete. I got pregnant right out of regionals. I'm going to keep training. Uh, I'm not going to train as intensely, you know, but I was like, this is going to be great. And I didn't think I really needed to know anything. I mean, looking back
0: on it, it's just so crazy to think about. I know. And And I feel the same way. Like, you know, you just almost give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Well, I'm athletic. I'm strong. I was like made for this. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Yes. I mean, really like that
1: really was it. And I was burnt out from teaching all day, competing all night. And I was welcoming the little bit of the break and having the pressure off and, and all of that. So, you know, it came at a time where I was like, cool, you know, not going to (laughs) redline, but other than that, I'm going to work out and, you know, I'm going to be strong and that's going to help me. And everything's going to be better because I'm, you know, I'm working out through this pregnancy. And then as time started going on a little bit and, I started to feel different things in my body. I, I kind of started to try to find information and there just really wasn't much out there. All I really, like the messages that I felt very tied to and very passionate about was like the no excuses, you know, I'm going to build this thing up so I can still do my burpees with my stomach, you know, or whatever. And that movement was good. And I'm going to prove to everyone that I'm not going to like kill my baby because I'm working out, because I feel like that was the biggest thing back then was it was fighting against the whole like, no, we can move when we're pregnant. It's good for us. Right. And we were fighting against that message so much that that was really what rung true most of the time and drove me. And then it was just being fit, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. Everything's got to be fit for birth and be strong for birth and all of those types of messages. And that's pretty much what I clung
0: to. Yeah, so how did that work out for you? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) um, you know, I had to stop working out around 35 weeks. I had so much pain in my belly. Like looking back now, it makes sense. But I mean, I just had had so much going on. Um, Just sitting around teaching. I mean, not even when I was working out. I mean, I just had a lot. And I just kind of ignored it because, I don't know, I was just used to pushing through stuff. And didn't have any idea what was really going on with my body (laughs) at all. And it was just, it was hard because all I got was a lot, a lot, a lot of praise and clapping for things I was doing in the gym as I got larger and larger in my pregnancy.
0: Right. And just for more context for you guys, again, because this was back in what year? Like for me, it was about 2013.
1: Yeah. Um, I was 2013. <clears throat> I got pregnant and then I had chase in 2014.
0: Yeah. So that at that time there was no influencer on Instagram. Instagram it wasn't even like really a thing. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of like Facebook. This was a lot of different Facebook groups. This was blogs. Instagram to an extent, different blogs yeah. and maybe you see an article yeah but more else, not even an article it really would have been just more blogs that was yes. like It was like that show,
1: mom blog i tried to look up. To yeah, there
0: was that that was around there. back then. And so yeah. the examples and information we had for athletic women training through pregnancy and going back postpartum was just like double under the baby out keep rope climbing just lift like hit a PR when you're pregnant no big deal you were made for this and then postpartum was all about, and I was so into this, um, was all about how quickly could you look like you did not have a baby. And it was like all the progress pictures. And now while there is nothing wrong with pursuing a fit pregnancy and nothing wrong with progressing postpartum to a baseline that feels healthy and right and fit for you, it was the, the overall message of like, exempt during pregnancy and then a rushing the process postpartum but really that did a lot of harm for a lot of different people both physically and mentally feeling like I'm struggling but I'm going to ignore it or yes. they were so unwilling to let go of our identity and I yes. see as in you and I <laughs> yes. and so many other people from that time frame and still you guys like This is still messages that Lisa and I both get every day. That culture has not died. It's just now we have a lot more information so we can say, well, we do have information to know better, do better, apply different ways of training, and then make your own informed decisions about what you're going to do with that information. But back then, we literally saw nothing. It was be a total badass or like you're doing prenatal Pilates and Lisa and I were not about that. (laughs) Yes.
1: And you know, I think what was really hard for me was that everybody at the gym was like, Oh my gosh, you're gonna bounce back so fast. Oh, you're so fit, oh, it's gonna help. That is literally all I heard. And they all meant well. I'm not mad at those people. Like they're just, you know, like being supportive. But when that didn't happen, and when I had this severe diastasis and I had a protruding belly and all this stuff, it made that like 80 times more devastating because I didn't fit that role and I didn't have that identity anymore, you know, that I felt like I still could even have while I was pregnant to an extent because I was doing handstand pushups and I was doing this and I was doing that, you know.
0: Right. It's like what makes us feel worthy. And so much of that for so long had been what we could do. And that was like really fulfilling for us on the inside, but then also fulfilling to get that, those compliments and to have people think that we were a badass when we're pregnant and in a different stage, it's already like, we're already dealing with so many different changes and insecurities. Having a thing like our fitness and our abilities felt good, you know? Yep. And And I think for me personally,
1: you know, I was never a competitive athlete and I turned into this competitive athlete and it was amazing. And right. it was hard for me to feel like, oh my gosh, all this I worked for that I accomplished, I never thought I could in mm-hmm. you know, these amazing things and these amazing changes I went through. You know, I moved from Michigan out of my comfort zone. And I did all this amazing stuff. And then I felt like it was just, it was scary because I felt
0: like, oh my God, I'm going to lose all of that. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I hear you on that. And there was no talk, even among The circles that were focusing on fit pregnancy and postpartum or whatever mom stuff, there was no like fit mom, for example, just that overall vibe. There was no talk about diastasis recti, pelvic organ prolapse, any kind of pelvic floor health incontinence considerations for training that did not exist in our bubble. Maybe yeah, like I the pelvic health, was. right? Like the pelvic <laughs> health community was probably talking about that. But right. as far as the female athlete community, especially during pregnancy and postpartum, it was literally not talked about. And I remember reaching out to the people who were kind of talking about that, and they're like, "Oh, I don't like talking about pregnancy and postpartum and fitness." And they were like, "I don't know what diastasis is," and I'm like, "Oh my god, how can you be?" guiding this population. And you don't know what that is. And then that opened up this huge can of worms for me when I was like, if this is really as common as I'm learning it is. Yeah. And same and like, if that goes hand in hand with pelvic floor health, how right. is this not a significant topic of conversation when guiding and coaching and putting information out there on Instagram, on Facebook, in these groups, on these blogs, why is that not part of it? and now we've seen a huge pendulum swing of information coming from a variety of places whether it's good or not right but like we have to keep in mind that this was not anything that any of us were really aware of not that long ago
1: yeah and you know i was taking advice from just uh, two other people i knew that had kids right. and i was like well what should i do like i was literally asking one person just cuz they had two kids. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not the source of information. That's just one
0: person's experience. And so. And we looked at that because that's relatable, you know, like we we wanted to talk to our fellow like moms who were still in the gym and like get their input. And that is a valuable source of feedback, of connection. But you guys, that is not your point of contact for all encompassing education. And it's really why I felt so called to create curriculum for coaches and practitioners with pregnancy and postpartum athleticism. And so coaches like Lisa are putting this information out there in communities so that she is that person who can help guide. But you know, you guys deserve more than just somebody's opinion. You deserve like an unbiased game plan and conversation about what your specific needs are. And just keep in mind... This is something that we would have given anything for back. Oh my then. gosh. Oh like my anything. gosh. Anything for.
1: <laughs> I mean, how how long were you and I talking back and forth, running around town? Oh, this person said this, this therapist said that, or years <laughs> and years and thousands
0: <laughs> and thousands of dollars. Oh my, God. Oh my gosh. Like going to so many different people just to get information that now I tell everyone, like what you what I put on Instagram in one caption probably costs years of my life and thousands of dollars <laughs> just you know because it's yeah. like that that one piece that like three sentences that took so long to learn and so long to find and yep. it really is such an evolution of how far this conversation has come but at the same token we've seen it almost go too far where there's a lot of fear a lot yes. of uh, misinformation and it is still, so it's like the pendulum has shifted in a way where there went from no no mention to like this overabundance of information that may or may not actually be helpful for the right. majority of people consuming that information. Right. So why don't we shift into talking about diastasis recti specifically today, because that's something that you and I both have navigated twice, (laughs) along the full spectrum from zero awareness to pregnancy, to not knowing what to do, to then learning some things, to another pregnancy, to rehab, to rehabbing and getting super strong and not being inhibited by diastasis, but then ultimately deciding to have surgery. So I mean, we have literally walked the entire (laughs) spectrum. (laughs) Wow. When you put it like that, yes, we have. (laughs) Literally walked the entire spectrum of, of all things diastasis recti and being a female athlete and a coach. And so why don't we shift into that and talk about what is a diastasis and like what actually is considered a significant diastasis? Yeah.
1: I think this is really hard. Because the problem with diastasis is it ties into aesthetics, or it can. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always, depending on how it is. So there's a lot of panic over it because people are worried about how that might make them look or, you know, everyone wants to see their abs. And so there's that whole dimension to it.
0: Right, like um, oh my gosh, my stomach looks so different postpartum. Therefore, I obviously have a diastasis. Yes, <laughs> but
1: you know what? That could not be true. Like, right. is your stomach going to be changed? Sure, can it be changed without having a significant diastasis that is a, is of a concern?
0: Absolutely. Yes,
1: for so many women.
0: So but we want to make diastasis this bad guy, right? Like, where we? blame any change to our body on a yes. diastasis and while yes. it might be true there's also a little bit more to it than that. Yes, there is. And so I would
1: say, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, right? But I in a very extreme case, okay? And so women look at me and they are terrified because they don't want to look like me. And they know that I had a very severe diastasis and you use that term diastasis or what I had, and you can use that term for diastasis for someone that has a minor separation, pretty good tension in their linea alba, but yeah, it's a little bit different than before. So maybe we're still calling it a diastasis and then we're grouping those into the same thing. Right. And I think that that's where a lot of the panic and confusion is starting to occur because it's turned into this like scary, scary term. And it's really not scary for the majority of people. And even for me, yes, I had to have surgery. And yes, I did not particularly like the way I looked, but I got to be extremely functional even with what I had.
0: Right. And so let's give some context around numbers because- I know we both get a lot of messages of OMG. I have a two-finger separation. Three
1: finger, four finger, yeah.
0: And like, and it's scary. Like women are really afraid that something is now wrong with their body. So it first of all, diastasis is naturally occurring during pregnancy. That means that you can do everything right, and your baby is still going to continue growing throughout 40-ish weeks of a pregnancy, and your abdominal wall has to accommodate for that spreading, right? So your abs are not ripping. They are not tearing. The fascia of the line of your six pack abs, which is called the linea alba is designed to have give it's fascia. And so it is withstanding the different pressures being distributed during pregnancy. I've had pregnant
1: pregnant women come to me so upset because their doctor or someone told them they had a diastasis at like, 28 30 weeks, or something insane, and they were so upset. Right, told, oh my gosh, they come. I feel everything feels like it, it's got to move. I would explain that to them, right. call everything down. feels like
0: it should feel, you know. Every, <laughs>
1: yes, things need to move, otherwise, you can't grow a baby in your belly. So, even the doctors and nurses, just the way the language around it yes. can create a lot of panic. People are not careful enough with their language, they're not aware, or maybe they right. just don't even have the education. Who the heck knows exactly? But Yes. I mean, it's going to happen in pregnancy and, you know, you can help manage those pressures with, you know, strategies and things that we teach, right? Right. Like You always say control what you can, right? So yeah, let's control what we can, but there's a lot that we also can't control depending on how your individual fascia genetically is going to respond, how big the baby is, what your body
0: type is. Right. All those factors. We can't control any of that. Right. And so there's so much guilt and fear that comes with this around something that is just a very normal part of growing humans in our body and postpartum you can do everything or you can do nothing. And for some women, they'll just naturally improve over yep. time. Like yep. they will be six weeks postpartum. And you know what? Like maybe they're still a little squishy with the fat on their, uh, on their abdomen. But mm-hmm. overall, their diastasis, their fascia feels really solid, like feels really good. There's other women who it will take years for them to rehab. And then yep. what does rehab even mean? So what we yeah. want is, yes, for the abs to approximate a little bit more, But we also want that fascia of the linea alba to be strong, to have some density, to have some kickback so that it can respond to the different tasks that we're doing and not just feel like it's sunken in and squishy. And so the first time I felt Lisa's abdomen. (laughs) Great poker face, Brie. I am so impressed. Right. Which is important. If you're a coach or a practitioner, you got to control your face. Lisa, which is actually really hard for me to do. So I'm I'm surprised that uh, I did that for you, Lisa. You did. I remember. Um, Trust me. I put my hand on her stomach and I couldn't find her rectus abdominals. Like my hand just sunk so far in towards her spine. I was feeling intestines and there was just... No kickback of fascia. Like it just sunk. It just completely sunk in. And I just thought like, wow, this is probably the most significant diastasis I have felt. And I knew that Lisa would be a great surgical candidate. But I also knew back then that she was somebody who would really need she needed to get strong before going into that process. And this was years before. Yeah. <laughs> before even thinking about that, right? right. So yes. the the point is, you guys, that maybe you have a two or three-finger diastasis, but that is not significant. I'm talking significant diastasis is somewhere between like seven, eight, up to sixteen, seventeen centimeters separated. Yeah.
1: Okay. There's people with like, people always think, oh, four, four, even right. four, if you've got good tension and stuff, right. I mean, there's a ton of people that are totally cool Yes, and they've got that, you know? Absolutely. There's all different kinds of ways that that can present when you're looking at depth wise, when you're looking at width wise, where you really have to get a whole picture to assess, okay, how, you know, extreme is right. this basis
0: really? Exactly. Like, is this a problem or are we making it a problem? Yes. And that is yes. what Lisa and I both see so much with this pendulum swing and message and information that we end up seeing women be so freaked out about their abs that then they are kind of sabotaging their own exercise and their own. Even like their own body image, because they feel like, oh my gosh, something is wrong. When really, like, no, your body is really resilient. And this is just a byproduct of having a baby, and you're probably okay to do the majority of things that you want to do. Right. Do you have to walk that line rehab wise, being really cognizant during your training, during pregnancy, being mindful, you know, in how you progress postpartum? Absolutely. But it's not, but for the majority of people, we don't have to obsess about our diastasis forever. Right. And, 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 and it's like you said before, I think it is so connected to aesthetics. Like Lisa and I had a very similar distance separated with our abs when we were, when we were knocked out and measured (laughs) Um, (laughs) at like a total rest. Right. Like I think I was eight when you were seven or eight. Right.
1: Yeah. I think, no, I think I was more like six or seven Okay. I, I was remember. so surprised how, how I expected it to be bigger, I guess, when they look right. at it in the surgery, you know? Yeah. But and if
0: you could look, <laughs> I do have a picture somewhere on my Instagram, but if you look at Lisa's presentation of a diastasis and my presentation of a diastasis, even with a similar uh, distance separated, we looked dramatically different. Mm -hmm. dramatically. I had a very flat lean stomach and you really, unless you knew, like you couldn't really tell there was anything quote unquote wrong with me. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. with Lisa, it was a very obvious difference in aesthetic for her. Her stomach protruded a lot more. It like had a lot more bulging and coning, even, even when she tried to control it, there was just, there was no midline there to support her. Right. So it's just very different fascia makeup and how ours presented. So you know, a lot of people have considered Lisa like worst case scenario, but <laughs> but like we know that that exists among a spectrum, I guess. Is what I'm yes. To say. yes. And I think what happens
1: is people, again, like they see what I look like and they don't want to look like that. And so that takes away from a lot of the other importance of like pelvic floor considerations and all the right. other things that are actually like Really important too, (laughs) and somehow get ignored because the aesthetic component isn't a part of that. Not that we want to like freak people out about that part either, but it's just the awareness, the considerations, the
0: education, the knowledge. So you're feeling empowered through this thing, right? Right. I try to tell Um, people like, I would rather have you be more cognizant of your pelvic floor health than your abs. Yes, you're gonna focus on something during pregnancy. And your training and your postpartum recovery, like that system is taking like the same kind of freak out everyone's having about coning or doming of their abs during pregnancy. Like we know that that pressure is also on the pelvic floor. You just can't see it. Like you you might maybe feel it, but then that's considered like symptomatic. And we don't, so we don't always have that visual representation where somebody can hang from a pull-up bar and send me a video and go, OMG, I'm coning and okay, maybe, maybe that's like, but that's not something I care about as much as caring about how much stress and demand is on the pelvic floor, but that's not like a sexy thing to be concerned about during pregnancy. No one wants to talk on Instagram unless you're in our like weird bubble (laughs) of like, okay, well, I'm not doing this because I am being really cognizant of the demand on my pelvic floor. It's so easy to focus on abs. It's not easy to focus on Something that is still relatively taboo
1: (laughs) Yeah, you can't hang from a pull-up bar and be like, oh my god, look at my vagina, you know, like (laughs) It's not gonna happen on instagram So and I just think it's important. I want people to hear that from me because obviously yes I did have a really rough road with my stomach. Okay, it was you know And it was hard for a lot of reasons at a lot of different points like still (laughs) The abs still are not the most important thing here
0: by any means Right. They're just one piece of a holistic conversation about women's bodies during pregnancy and postpartum and in our pursuit of different athletic pursuits, you know, like this yeah. is just one piece of the conversation, but it tends to now oh my gosh. a few years later, take up a ton of focus Yes, Absolutely. for better or worse. <laughs> so let's talk about this. You had a really significant diastasis you got pregnant again, you made a lot of adjustments to your training, mostly from an exercise choice standpoint, but Mm -hmm. also how you were performing the exercises. So Mm -hmm. you were able to fit in your prehab into your training and then your rehab into your postpartum experience. So can you like, well, maybe focus on that part of it of like what you did slightly differently to navigate having a diastasis and then getting to a point where you felt really strong postpartum?
1: Yeah. So as soon as I got that positive pregnancy test, I was like, all right, time to learn more stuff. And then that's (laughs) when I reached out to you again. And I think that's when we FaceTimed. And that's when you you had started gathering more knowledge and we just were armed with better stuff. So I was like, well, this is the perfect time to learn. I'm pregnant. I'm not trying to PR things. So I'm going to learn how to move differently, how to breathe differently, how to do all this stuff. So I dropped the weights pretty early in my second pregnancy. I didn't have to yet. You know, I just got the positive pregnancy test, but I started to play around with squatting a little bit differently, breathing differently on my squat, managing that pressure, doing things that in a way, like I've always just, Valsalva, like that's all I've ever known. I've been crossfitting for 15 years or something. I don't even know. And so I just had to like, learn some different ways of doing things. So that's right. when I did it. And it was great. And it was great because then by the time it was postpartum, I had spent all pregnancy practicing and it wasn't as overwhelming when I got to that point, which was great. And that's what I always try to tell people too. Like it's a great time to do it. Uh, especially you're not exhausted and you know, right.
0: have a baby, and, you, yes. and you didn't <laughs> have to stop doing the things that you liked to do. Nope. You just changed how you were doing them. So you yep. said drop the weights, but it wasn't that you weren't lifting weights. It's just right. that you weren't right. lifting as heavy or in the same manner.
1: Yes. Yeah. I dropped them because as I was learning the new ways, I felt like I had to drop it a little bit to just practice something different. Right. And so, and yeah, so I did that, you know, throughout, I got creative so I could still work out throughout my, almost my whole pregnancy last month or so. I think I stopped. I was, um, I had another little bout of vertigo and I was like, all right, I'm just going to chill for the last couple of weeks. And it was good. It was a good pregnancy, but I also knew as much as I was like controlling all of those things and felt very good about it, I also knew there was a lot I could not control. I wish I had a picture I could flash on the screen right now, but like that baby was all up in my belly, all up in that diastasis. Like it was just intense. And so I knew that, you know what, it is what it is. You know, it was still unsettling. And then postpartum, I thought, okay. Well, everything I learned. I'm going to go back. I went back a lot. Well, I went back pretty slowly the first time, too. But like, I really was like, okay, I'm only going to do three days a week. I did your program, eight week program, and eased myself in a little bit more than I wanted to, you know, that athlete brain. But I also felt like I had a really good handle on my pressure management strategies and everything like that. Well, at about six months postpartum, that's when you came in for the workshop. I had you do a workshop. I had Brianna do a workshop at the gym I was coaching at at the time. And so she came in and that's when she felt my stomach, (laughs) the thing she was saying before. But she was just saying that she thought it would be good if I got a different perspective from a different PT. And so I was ready to fly to Chicago. (laughs) I live in Michigan. So I was going to try to fly there and come back in the same day. I was still nursing my baby and It was hard for me to pump because I would tend to get mastitis and anyway,
0: but I really was like, (laughs)
1: I need to see like it's six months, I need to really like get a handle on this and get more help than just me doing it by myself here alone. Right. And my first PT was really good and she tried to help me, but she just didn't have a full picture of it. And so I just needed a little bit more. So um, I was about to do that. And that's when I found my current PT, Nancy Boyd, who is the best and I cried. I couldn't even, Oh my God. I remember talking to you, calling you and crying. I was like, Oh my God, I found yeah. someone that's 20 minutes for me and she gets it. And, da, da, da. and that's when I started working with her and she was helping me progress back to CrossFit stuff with my strategies and helping me with full body stuff, like
0: right. just the full picture. And to like pause and also rewind you guys. So when Lisa, like Lisa at her fully rehabbed strongest ever state was still like seven-ish centimeters separated. Right. 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 Before that, she was probably double. Right. In your early postpartum. Oh yeah. Nobody, I mean, I didn't
1: you know, I would have killed to even after my first son know how the depth was. Because I I had no awareness of the even the depth. Like just if it got worse with the second or not, oh my gosh. Like I would just kill to have all of that nerdy information. Oh my God. Right. But yeah, the second time through, like right after pregnancy, who know? I mean, it had, it was probably very,
0: very warm. Right. Yeah. Like I remember putting my hands in her and I had both hands and needed another hand. To- <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I mean, we were talking like out to her obliques, right? Kind of separated with no kickback, no tension. Right. So I just like to give people that idea because I know we're still afraid of like the two or three fingers and there is so much hope for making a ton of progress, even if it doesn't look conventionally successful or what the like mommy blogger told you is a heel diastasis for Lisa. She got to a really good place with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was doing a lot of high level CrossFit things, doing, you
0: know, toes to bar and muscle ups and core stuff. And getting better, not getting worse, after she put in that foundation. Yeah, and
1: that's and that's where I think you and I see there's a where the disconnect happens right now is that women are getting more of the info to how to rehab and your transverse and all these activation things, and right. that's all great. I mean, we you know ribs positioning of the ribs and our alignment, all that stuff is great. And it, there's a time and a place for all of this information and all the support and all of this rehab. But women, because of the fear surrounding the term diastasis or seeing my stomach flashed around the internet or whatever it is, (laughs) women then get in this place of almost paralyzing fear to allow any kind of coning to ever occur or to ever do a sit-up again or to feel like they could ever do a toe-to-bar again. And that's where this is starting to become a detriment because... I got to that place and then I was pushed because you pushed me and then I did a consult with Anthony Lowe and I realized that 18 months postpartum after I've done hardcore rehab and was doing really well <laughs> and modified that I
0: <laughs> need to
1: stop doing burpees on my knees. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you know, and yeah. so that's when things changed for me and that's when my body really did need more loading. And I I did feel better once I just went back to those exercises.
0: Right. Because diastasis and any other injury needs conservative care initially. And then it needs more challenge. Yes. And then it needs more challenge. That's basic progressive overload. That is how we get stronger. So if we want a diastasis to improve, our overall system and how we do it also has to keep getting stronger and improve in efficiency. And Lisa put in that work, but then she stalled out and was not really getting (laughs) better until she was able to challenge it and get stronger. And that's the spectrum that I'm talking about here. Yep. So leading into this continued spectrum, what made you decide to get surgery?
1: Yeah, so there are two components to my decision for surgery. One is I didn't want to look like that the rest of my life. And I think that's important to say because I think women get embarrassed and they try to blame diastasis on getting the surgery or getting the surgery because of their diastasis. And that can be dangerous because, you know, they can miss out on rehab. They can rush into surgery, you know, all of these different things. And so that was a big part of it. You know, like I enjoy being fit and... I learned to love my body again through that journey. Cause I got strong. I felt empowered. I felt like that belly helped me help so many women. Right. Uh, I get emotional. And I talk about that because I feel like I couldn't do anything I'm doing right now without that belly. Um, and so I loved it, but like, I'm not gonna pretend I liked the way it looked. Like I looked pregnant all the time. Like <laughs> that's not fun. So that was part of it. And I knew at some point, yep, I'll probably get surgery for that. Although I wasn't in a rush cause I wanted to, you know, make sure that I was doing this in the right way because my my biggest goal was to be functional. If someone literally told me if I got surgery, I couldn't do CrossFit, which you know would be silly. But if that was a thing, I probably wouldn't have gotten it because I would have dealt with the belly so I could do CrossFit. I mean that's Mm -hmm. how bad I want to be functional, but I also still don't like looking like that. right? Right. Then the second part is those tissues were very, very thin. So I had a suspected umbilical hernia at my umbilicus. I never got a CT scan or ultrasound or anything like that, but every the general surgeon, every plastic surgeon, everybody said, oh yeah, you have umbilical hernia. When they opened me up, I actually did not have one. The tissue there was just so thin, things were like sticking out kind of, but since there was no technical hole. So that goes to show how thin my tissue really was in that place. And so, I mean, growing older and um, all that stuff, like I wouldn't feel very happy or comfortable growing older with that thin of a tissue, just living like that, right? But was I okay? I sure was okay. You know, I got rid of a lot of my back pain once I kept getting stronger, a lot of things that often are connected to diastasis. I got rid of a lot of those other symptoms and, you know, I felt pretty good. But that thin tissue, my organs were still kind of exposed. When the kids came to my belly, it hurt. (laughs) Like it was not. So yeah, so those those are the two biggest reasons that I chose surgery after many many consults and many
0: many freakouts. Right. No, <laughs> I I mean I remember, <laughs> but I love that you did not get this surgery from a place of desperation or hating your body. There is a right. deep appreciation and love for everything that your stomach gave you, which was right. obviously your two babies, and right. honestly, it birthed. This career and calling that you have, and so many people that you have been able to connect with in this chapter of your life. And so, while we can make hard choices, we can also have appreciation for, you know, where for you, like the story that your stomach helped tell and still continues to help tell. And I think that's really beautiful. And that's not lost on then choosing to pursue surgery to resolve it. Yeah. And so, how are you feeling now, my friend?
1: Oh, I'm feeling pretty good. I yeah. had a really rough time right after surgery, and everyone wanted me to, me to be so excited about how I looked because it was such a drastic change, right? And like it was cool, but like until I did a toes to bar, <laughs> I could not be excited yet. Like I was so nervous right. about being functional and right. feeling okay. But I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I still. I mean, I still get swollen. I still have burning and pains, and apparently, all this is normal normal in quotes. What is really normal? We don't know. We <laughs> don't know anything. That's for a different podcast. It but is. yes, I am feeling pretty
0: good right now. and I'm very, very, very grateful. Oh, I'm so glad. And I'm obviously really thankful that you're sharing your story with so many people here, that you do so on Instagram and have been really open for years now about the path you've been on personally, but now that you're, you're able to pay that on professionally, both online and in your community. So tell us where can we find more about you?
1: Yes. So, um, my website, www.lisa-ryan.com. We'll link to everything. I am on Instagram all the time. Love the Instagrams. (laughs) Uh, Lisa.Marie.Ryan on Instagram and then also Facebook. And then, like I said, my website has links to my blogs. I've got some blogs up there about like, I get a lot of questions about, people have been asking a lot of Like, what do I ask my surgeon? I have some some questions I ask. I'm actually going to consolidate it soon and do a blog with a bunch of questions to help people. Because it's a lot of people don't even know what kind of questions to ask right? um, because how do you know? And the problem is with this whole kind of theme of diastasis that we've talked about on this podcast today, surgeons are always going to tell you if you have any inkling of any little diastasis, they're going to tell you to get the surgery because that's right. Before you do any of that, you need to really go through other avenues. Yeah. PA coach, see a pelvic floor physical therapist. Like get strong, play around with stuff, and go in knowing more about your body first. <laughs> right, because you're not going to get the full picture of what diastasis is from a surgeon.
0: Absolutely. I think that's so well said. Walk that spectrum. You will not regret taking your time and knowing as much as you possibly can. And we will have a podcast on this at another time that's very surgery specific. But right now I just want you guys to have as much information as you can um, in context about diastasis. Lisa has great information on her website. I'll also link to a free ebook that I have on diastasis recti and athleticism that also is a lot of hand-holding and information, just no BS, straightforward, tell you what you need to know about this, what to do and uh, how to proceed. So that will be linked in the show notes. Lisa, thank you so much for being here, for sharing so openly and vulnerably. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we will talk soon.
1: Thank you so much. Bye guys.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Make sure you head over to my website, www.briannabattles.com and find my free and paid resources. And make sure to connect with me on Instagram at brianna.battles. Talk to you soon.